Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get adoseofhope.com. Today's guest is Sarah Davenport. Sarah started her career in broadcast communications, working in Christian radio for several years, both behind the scenes and as an on-air personality. Then on to speaking, training, and coaching. Today, she has offered her guidance and shared her spiritual insights with groups as intimate as seven and organizations as large as several hundred. White Fawn Ministries allows Sarah to offer Christian leaders a place to grow themselves so they can grow theirs, those in their community of believers. Her greatest desire is to guide and support others so they can clearly define and effectively fulfill their life purpose before God. Sarah Davenport and Robert talk about the importance of the power of connection and networking. She's found success in many different areas, but now focuses on her passion of serving Christian leaders, which has brought all of the pieces of her life together. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm uh, just looking forward to learning today. Oh, I'm looking forward to this too. I was viewing uh, your website and I feel like between you and me, we've got a lot in common. So I'm looking forward to a really fun conversation myself. Nice. Well, I typically let each guest just start with their own entrepreneurial journey and what's got them to where they're working today. Right, right. And goodness, has it ever been a journey? I think every entrepreneur can say that. Um, I think as I think back, all the way back, you know, I was born with an entrepreneurial view of the world, you know, clear back. I was suggesting ways to to fix things out in the barnyard and this. And so I think it came naturally to me to pursue entrepreneurial things. And I found that personally, as I played with and tried out the whole executive career model, um, I always ended up bumping into a disconnect uh, for me. The, the, uh, again, it was my nature to suggest upgrades, um, you know, ways to change things for efficiency or et cetera. And in the corporate model that was comfortably established, more than being received positively, oftentimes I was, um, in some cases, sort of aggressively suppressed. Like, don't talk about that. We're not going to change that. Nobody wants to change that. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. And as time went on, I, I just grew to understand that that model of business, though it has its place clearly, was not the best model for me. For me, I was just maybe a little too creative, a little too out of the box, your classic entrepreneur. And, and uh, for me, I realized 
eventually that it looked like a better fit for me to just work for myself. And then if we had a dispute, it was just me, myself and me. <laughs> those, those can get ugly. But, oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're not always easy, but at least it's just, you know, I, what can I do? Fire me, you know? <laughs> so. Some days you wish you could. <laughs> yeah. Some days, some days. And of course, um, you know, what I have always carried with me is a very um, strong faith-based perspective of the world as well. And again, never mind the obvious contradictions that occur within certain other business models. Um, yeah, sometimes uh, even when it's just me, myself, and me, there's also God in the room. And and you know, sometimes I just humble myself and we do what needs doing. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about the, the journey from, you know, corporate to, to working for yourself. Yeah, right, right. So, um, you know, like I say, I reached that point um, at about the time that our son was reaching adulthood and the, the real potential for me to explore a full dive into uh you know, executive career path. I'd just been hit and miss, you know, uh, mostly a work from home mom, part-time jobs here and there. But this was my real opportunity to to dig in and, and decide which path I was going to take. So, you know, the more obvious uh, things in front of me were job prospects. And I played with a few of those. And, and again, um, like I say, so it was, I was probably, let's see, I'm in my 50s now. So, it was it was when I was in my 30s, so about 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I played around enough that I said, you know, I think I'm a better fit for myself. So I did some network marketing types of models because that seemed like a really great hybrid. And again, no criticisms there. Astounding um, business education, um, you know, really uh, fantastic kind of on the job training. And again, you didn't need to have a product, right? The product was already there. So what you could develop in yourself was your your professionalism, your business side. So I, I really enjoyed that. Again, found that I just wasn't quite at the fullest expression of myself. But out of uh, some of those early network marketing type models of business, of which I had, I'd say, modest success, um, never enough that... I mean, obviously, I'm not still doing them. So, right, that, you know, things happened, enough changes occurred that there was never, I wasn't so deep into it with so much success that it's what I'm still doing. But I certainly appreciated what I learned. And I did have modest success. And that helped me to be more confident in my business skills. And this was, oh, you know, maybe the mid 2000s at that point. And some more entrepreneurial style opportunities began to become available to me at that point. I um, was looking to uh, do more networking just for my own sake and came uh, in contact with an incredible businesswoman. And we ultimately built um, a women's networking organization here in the Denver metro area that ran for about five years as a side hustle for both of us. We Neither one of us was that our lead um, goal, but we took uh, the the whole thing. We were given a list of six women, <laughs> 
six women as a prospect that might come to our event. And in five years, we built that list to over 2,000 women and over five monthly events that were happening all up and down the front range. And um, ultimately, a huge following, an online magazine when online wasn't even really a thing yet. And so we were building it all in the back from scratch. And anyway, we were quite successful. And in so doing, I also built some of my own personal consulting um, business. I wrote a book. Uh, and from there, the book was in um, holistic health. Uh, I had had an interest in that, had studied deeply, noticed it was a need, especially at that time with um, structured church world. I did a lot of speaking for MOPS organizations and other church-based because there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of overlapping concerns that pursuing natural health was somehow contrary to God's will, right? There was a lot of misunderstanding there that, that, that they were not in harmony and that if you did go down that natural health path, that, that it, was, it was something that was going to threaten your spiritual security. So I did a lot of unlearning. I helped a lot of um, people at that time to recognize that, to see God, within the the holistic health it almost seems irrelevant to discuss now 20 years later it has become comfortable and everyone does see that but at the time there was a lot of misunderstanding so i thanked god for the opportunity and out of that came a book um called starting your journey of holistic health it's still floating around in an updated version on um on amazon kindle um and it was just meant to help people do exactly that, start their journey, understand the grassroots of some of these alternative types of therapies, why you might use them, ideally, you know, be able to see God in them. And as the evolution of entrepreneurialism <laughs> continued, what happened is word of mouth got around that Sarah had self-published. Again, this is the mid 2000s. That wasn't a common thing. It was quite ahead of its time then what it then attracted to me and for the next almost decade a little bit more than that i actually assisted us in writing their books and i call it um you know i did co-authoring and um editing and these sorts of things with a lot of people most of them in this area the denver metro area i literally for most of them we sat shoulder to shoulder um literally in the same room with a shared computer and wrote line by line, word by word. Um, most of them, I call them inspirational biographies. These were individuals that had an incredible story to tell, a fantastic story of overcoming a challenge in their own life. And some of them were already speaking and training and doing lots of things, but had never slowed down and put their story on paper. So what I was able to help them accomplish was a, a written version of their story. And I worked with, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 different individuals um, during that time. So I feel every one of the stories was a gift to me. I mean, the, the profound, I mean, wow, what these people were able to share their stories of overcoming. And I feel like I got a really kind of intimate VIP behind the curtain opportunity to to hear the whole story so that we could pick out the pieces 
that made for a good chapter and then move along. And anyway, I, I again feel incredibly blessed by all that occurred during that time. And ultimately then, you know, COVID wandered around and everything was up for grabs and not too many people were sitting shoulder to shoulder anymore. <laughs> so um, it gave me the opportunity to um, sort of reevaluate where I was at, um, revisited for a time working with the woman that I had worked with, um, with the women's networking group. Uh, we built a business around uh, personal branding, uh, specifically assisting entrepreneurial coaches, people who didn't have education. Her background is exclusively in graphic design and marketing and packaging. And my background is in broadcast communications and ultimately lots of understanding around advertising and marketing and language and why you need to do this and what that the value of a brand is and how it's not just a pretty picture, but it's an entire persona. So we came together again, worked very effectively for about four years, did some amazing things, you know, even while COVID was in full bloom, it didn't slow us down at all because the business um, technology allowed us to work remotely and we were able to assist many people. She's still building the business. I found it was entrepreneurially speaking, time to move on. And um, so what I'm doing now, I think, is a, a collective a culmination. It it's the right place to be and probably has always been my destination, even as I explored all these various different ways of working for myself or working with others in that sort of freelance, intimate way. Um, what I'm doing now is truly a ministry. And for me at this time, um, it is the culmination of all that that fits best for what I have to share, what I've learned in my life. Um, and so I feel that it's a good time to offer this. And so now, and ideally for the duration, um, I am known as White Fawn Ministries. So tell us a little bit more about White Fawn Ministries and your purpose, sure. mission. Yes. Well, if uh, if you want the faith story, so the faith story is that way back in the day when I was twelve, I went to a revival and and walked up front and said, "I'm all in. This is the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, you bet. I love this idea that you know." Me and the God who created me can be besties forever. So um, from the age of 12, I have uh, been very, very committed to my faith. Um, I still literally have, this is, th this was given to me that, that year as a gift. Wow. And it's still the same one. A couple of the pages fall out of the back now, but <laughs> so um Ultimately, everything that's driven all of my decisions, professionally, personally, as a wife and a mother and, and now a grandmother, um, I know, I know, it's, it's a whole new world and it's incredible. And you know, you always hear people say, you don't know till you know, it's true and it's wonderful. So <laughs> in any case, everything I've ever done has been driven first and foremost by faith 
And um, so to come around and have this final, this merging, where there's not this separation of business and, and faith, um, White Fawn Ministries allows me to be able to come right out of the gate um, with a scriptural platform and, and it leaves less to confusion. Those who'd like to work with me um, already have an understanding that this is ideally where we're going to go. So White Fawn Ministries is most specifically focused on um, assisting individuals uh, with spiritual warfare. So I feel that it's a, a topic, there's just not a lot of it out there. And I know when I was wrestling with um, my personal challenges throughout my life, uh, I was looking for answers that didn't come easily in a book or this or that. And so I developed an understanding of what we battle and and how to claim victory over that in a way that, at least in my observations, I don't see anyone else offering. There still seems to be a disconnect. Like in most cases, I see spiritual warfare still, I'll help you, right? The classic version of that is a Catholic type exorcism. You know, that's that's the most exaggerated classic form of that, right? Like you have a problem, I will come in with all of my knowledge. I will do what I know how to do. And you will be released from this, this spiritual antagonist, right? Um, my, my growth, my understanding is, is much more daily usable. It's kind of, you know, spiritual warfare for the lay person. You know? <laughs> so how do we get through every day? Not just, you know, those big ones. So a lot of what White Fawn Ministries does is offer uh, education, uh, training. I can do private coaching as well um, and have done that. Uh, you know, I can be the long term private coach, the accountability style coach. And I have done that uh, for others who are in like spiritual leadership positions. Right, that, that they're feeding into a, a group of people who are looking to them for guidance. And, you know, they they need they need somewhere that challenges them to grow so that their message does not stagnate as they're reaching into those who are coming to them. So I feel that that's my greatest um, place of contribution is in those who are already in leadership positions within uh, spiritual models within um, Christian churches, within, you know, this type of uh, lay um, consulting and coaching, right? Like um, this, this model, these people who are already being asked to reach into the lives of others, but need a place for themselves to be challenged, to grow in their ability, um, in their understanding, in their uh, skill sets and talents. So um, White Fawn Ministries now allows me to do that. So good. All right. Thank you. So, I yeah. think so too. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to go, we're going to go jump all the way back to this networking group and, oh, yeah. and starting, starting networking with, with six women and, and building that up. I love to share the value of connection and, and why connection is not just uh a tool it's it's necessary right first of all yeah. i think we're created for connection <laughs> and so right. it's a natural outpouring of of who we were created to be but for business success 
connection is is ultimately necessary. So yes. would you share a little bit about the value of connection and some tools that have helped in 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 making connection and growing connections? Right. Absolutely. Okay. So to put it into a time frame and then bring those core principles to the current, right? So at the time in the mid 2000s, uh, Facebook was brand new. I, I remember when we were invited as individuals to get on this crazy new thing called Facebook. And we were like, what? How's that ever going to be anything to do with this? What is this? Uh, I remember setting up my first Facebook account. So again, just to set the time frame, being online was brand new. Everyone was still toting around business cards, but it wasn't enough. Everyone was had their little paper business card. And the first question everyone was asking everyone else is, what's your website? It was brand new. You still had to build it from scratch. There was no GoDaddy. There was no Wix. There was no Square. None of that. And yet we were being asked as professionals to have these resources. So um, the value of networking at that time was still very, very bound to physical contact because they're really what we have today, like what you and I are doing here on StreamYard, unheard of, unheard of the freedom for ordinary individuals to have access to video and audio and internet capacity was, it was non-existent. You needed lots of money. You needed your own technical staff. And so in that time, networking was still deeply tied to physical contact and um, literally meeting these people. And so, of course, our networking organization, even as we were sort of advanced in our world and did have a website and provided an online directory and an online magazine for our uh, members, um, we still made ourselves incredibly available through events. Um, and within those events, we, again, remember my business partner and I, we both came from an understanding of value of making real connections. So we built structures into our event agendas that deliberately and purposely created opportunities for individuals to actually forced people to to build their network by purposely communicating during the time that we were together. We built in um, casual time for easy, comfortable reconnections. That's when you circle the room and you talk with all the people you already know <laughs> and you catch up on things. But we also built in some very aggressive ways for um, individuals to purposely intentionally meet new individuals in the room and to make the connections that live. Some of the testimonials that came out of that were um, women professionals who said, I have never seen better bottom line cash results than from the way Women's Business Link helps me network with other women. I literally make money networking through Women's Business Link. So yay us, we um, certainly built that. And Again, I think I spoke to some of the core things. It's easy. It's easy to reconnect with those you know. But from a business building perspective, that will end up leaving you um, 
under the illusion that you've made contacts. I know oh, if I just talk to Bill 782 times, he's going to buy. No, probably after number five, even if Bill says to you every single time, even if Bill says, you know, I've got to do, I've got, you know what, we're going to talk, right? It, you have to, as a professional, realize at some point, you know, how much effort is Bill worth or do I need to move on and meet somebody new? Right. So um, in networking, you can trick yourself, especially as a maybe um, more naturally reserved sort of introverted individual who has an enormous skill set, but not a lot of comfort in the, the outgoing sales side of pitching yourself, you, you know, being your brand, all those sorts of things. Um, you can trick yourself into thinking one of two things. One that nobody wants what you have to buy. But if you really count, you've only really talked to five people and, and, <laughs> and you've tricked yourself into thinking it was the 50 or 100. You got to do the, you got to do the math, right? And it's just simple math. And anyone in sales will always tell you that it's just however many no's it takes to get to a yes. And that's different for everything that's offered. So it's not a criticism on what you have available. But you do have to be honest with yourself. If you have a niche product, even in coaching, right? Coach entrepreneurial coaches, they're very niched, right? And as a result, you just have to be honest with yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't make a living, but for you, that number, that ratio might be enormous, right? It might be 2000 to one. Okay, well then get to it. That means you got to talk to 2000 people. Don't compare yourself to the person who sells toilet paper. They don't have to talk to anybody but the first person, right? They're going to sell to everybody. Everybody needs toilet paper. If you have that kind of a product, you can see really good numbers. I talk to one person, one person buys. Woohoo, this is great. But if you have a niche product, you just have to own the responsibility that you're going to need to talk to 2,000 people. I remember when I first heard this, it was my coach when I was selling my book. And it was on holistic health at a time when nobody wanted to know about that. And he said to me, and I was crushed because I had invested all that energy and time. <laughs> make this book a reality. And I brought it out and it was, a, you know, back then you got boxes of it, right? You know, it wasn't on the internet. So I got my boxes in my book and here, and he said, that's fantastic. You do realize that's a very niche market. You might appeal to 20% of the audience that you're approaching. I was like, what? You mean, you mean I talk to a hundred people and I'm lucky if I sell two books, that's not even going to pay for the gas. It took me to go to this conference. Right. And that's when I really became aware of the importance of the numbers. As it turned out, I did. I did OK because I let go of the crush and owned the numbers. And I went out there and I did what I needed to do to talk to enough people to sell enough to make it worth it. But I think well, from an entrepreneur, go ahead. You just mentioned the piece that's in there that's really important is is recognizing that you have a unique niche. And and if you choose the wrong audience, you are going to get even more no's. And so the importance of understanding your niche, understanding who your ideal client is, gets mm -hmm. you the opportunity to choose the right rooms to be in. Right. And so Absolutely. if you're looking for a health and wellness room and 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 you're over in, you know, executive bill, whatever that looks like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't be surprised if you only sell two or you're lucky if that happens, right? And of course, we all think you have to put yourself, a lot of us get offended as entrepreneurs because we know how much effort and passion and everything else we put into 
what it is we're contributing to the world, whatever that is, the whatever skills we have. What happens is we forget to think like a consumer. When we ourselves are consumers, we it's like we suddenly have this blackout. But I know as a consumer, me, I'm not going to buy the first time I meet you, most likely. I might, I'm a very skeptical consumer. I'm going to do my research and with the internet, now that's so much more accessible to me. I can really dig in and find out if I want to spend that $15.95 on your book. Uh, so I'm probably not going to do it just because you showed up once in my life. So if we're going back to networking, the, the next most important thing about networking, we used to tell our women this all the time, don't come to one meeting, come to every meeting, every single meeting. Your consistency will bring others into a place of trust and confidence. It When you show that you're confident enough in what you have to offer to put yourself out there over and over and over and over again, saying the same 30 second pitch when it's your turn. When you show that you're confident enough in your products and services, you will build the confidence in others to ultimately make that purchase in what you have to offer. But you have to go first. Well, and, and the other piece of that consistency is the intentionality that you talked about, that it, it's easy to go to a chamber event. It's easy to go to these events and chat with all the people that you've seen every other time, rather than being intentional and and intentionally sharing. You can't be that person who just whips around the room saying, do you have a business card? Do you have a business card? Do you have a business card? So you leave with a pile of business cards, but you don't know anybody's name, face, or what kind of business they right. offer. Right? right. And so now you've taken this stack of business cards and you go home and you throw them into your email list and then you spam them all with your, your weekly emails of super duper value and Right. Well, then they then they don't yeah then they want anything to do with you um i was gonna so, say then sadly you develop the opposite of what you wanted there's no right. relationship there there's really just disdain at that exactly point. and so next mm -hmm. time they see you at a networking event they're going to go ooh, yep. oh, i don't want to talk to yep. that person rather right. than like you talked about building relationship and yes, it's okay to connect with the people that you know and, and reconnect because you want to put your, you know, get your face in, and use those to build the confidence back up. And yeah. then you turn to the people that you don't know and you say, hey, right. my name's Robert. I coach entrepreneurs. You know, what do you do? <laughs> and yeah. and have right. those conversations um, to, to learn more. And of course, I think, you know, the go-giver is, is a big message, right? Go with the intent of, you know, what's your ideal client, finding out more about who can I refer to you and and being able to add value to them without assuming that they'll be your customer or that they'll refer to you, you know, customers That's to right. you. But recognizing mm -hmm. the value of a mutual relationship where I really want to help you grow your business. I really want to help you get clients. And that will ultimately lead to, man, Robert helped me get this and this and this. I want to help Robert. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Exactly. Or, or I know that Robert's the perfect person for the friend who just came to me. That's the ultimate referral, right? 
when the person who doesn't need your services still thinks of you first when someone comes to them, right? Oh. That's, that's the maximum success. When you have no connection to that next client, except for having made the right impression on the individual who's offering the referral, that's, that's ultimate success, right? That's the grandest word of mouth, free advertising you can acquire is that someone you never even directly worked with, but you made an impression on thinks of you first when someone comes to them saying, who should I work with? <sighs> yeah, that's it. So again, you know, we know the old adage, well, most of us at this point, it's kind of rolls around there a lot. Um, people don't remember so much what you've said to them. They don't. They're going to remember how you made them feel hmm. much more so than what you've said. So again, there's no need to offer a, a 25 minute dissertation on what you do to help people succeed, whoever you are, right? It's about being able to leave people with a, a genuine remembrance of you that stays with them in a positive way. I mean, really, that's what it's about. And you need to learn to do whatever it is that you need to do. You need to learn to speak succinctly if that's necessary, say less, do more, whatever it is. It's up to you as the entrepreneur to learn what that is and practice that. Because in the end, that's what builds business, is the impression that you leave with others, not how many words you told them about how great you are. Well, and especially because we love we love the features that we've created in our product and our service. And we get so caught up in all the features and all the great things and all the bonuses and all the extras and all the value that we're putting in there. And we completely forget about the results that we're trying to help people get. And all that person listening to you cares about is the result. Like what's in it for mm -hmm. them. And so that's Absolutely. where you got to start with for them. Absolutely. And, you know, we we worked with some individuals at, at the time that we were doing the branding business here recently. And again, even that's trickier than you think. When you have a great product, um, it's still tricky to be able to clearly let another individual know in a brief amount of time how they can benefit from working with you. Because the truth is, time, let's let's use um, dieting. It's a great example. Right. Okay, so the first thing you're going to tell somebody is, I can help you lose weight. Well, do you know what you just said to me, stranger? I'm fat. <laughs> if I've never met you before? Yeah, you just told me I don't look right. You just told me I don't measure up. And you see, so again, even as an entrepreneur diet coach, right, you still have to be careful and think like a consumer. And so you think what they want to hear is, I can help you lose weight. And so you jump right out of the gate with that. You can't figure out why nobody wants to work with you. But all they remember is the feeling. How did you make them feel? Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. You made them feel in your very first words, with all your excitement and all your skills and your personal success, you're wearing it, you've lost your weight, and you just want to help the world feel better about themselves. And the first thing you say to somebody is, I can help you lose that weight you want to lose. And that... That person's like, wow, mm, mm, I got to go home and sit with this. Do I like you? You just basically <laughs> told me I didn't measure up and that the only way I was going to measure up is to work with you. At my feeling, maybe right. I do want to lose weight, but my feeling now is around you. It's uncomfortable, not, not comfortable. Might as well have asked me when my baby was due. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep, that's another one. Careful. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's why even within and entrepreneurials are less skilled, generally speaking, in understanding marketing, advertising, and branding, right? And they and they try to compete in some cases with well-organized um, business models that have a full educated, certified, degreed marketing team. And, and then they wonder why they're not getting the same results. Well, part of it is truly a lack of skill sets that they're just going to have to be honest as an entrepreneur. They either need to find cash to invest in someone who is educated in that, or they need to step back long enough to say, I've got to learn this. It's a skill I'm going to need to have. It's not you don't just hang up a shingle and especially on the internet for heaven's sakes. Um, oh. it, you've got, it used to be, you had seven seconds in a networking environment where you met someone face to face. You had about seven seconds to make a good first impression saying I can help you lose weight is not one of the ways to do that. That being said, <laughs> anymore on the internet, you have less than one second to accomplish the same goal. And to be able to do that effectively takes an incredible amount of understanding of human behavior, of, of what motivates people to purchase, of the consumer mindset, etc. So um, as an entrepreneur, back to our original topic of the importance of making a connection, whether you're meeting someone in person or meeting them online, um, understanding the importance of that connection as a bottom line dollar in your financing records, right? Your ability to do business and make a living is intrinsically connected to your ability to make relationship connections as quickly and effectively as possible. And, and be willing to turn those relationships into a sales conversation. Oh, absolutely. Which is really just the continuation of, I mean, ideally, the best sales conversations are someone who's already a yes, just need to know the logistics. Because what sure. you've already done is built that relationship so much so they can't wait to work with you. And as a result, when you have the sales conversation, there's no more selling to be done. They already are a yes. And for the heaven's sakes, don't talk them out of it. Just tell them how to pay. <laughs> well, the challenge, that's that's the challenge, right? So so you work in a heart-based, a heart-based industry. So you have yes. you're coming from a place of service and health. Yes. And and the challenge with so many in health and wellness and heart-based is I can help you. And I want so badly to help you that I'll forget to ask you to pay me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. And certainly now that I'm in a platform uh, uh, that is ministry, it's taken a bit of a new position for me in that it does allow me personally at this time to present the opportunities to work together in a slightly different way, right? Like there can be that level within there. I do have values on my time. There's no question about that. If you want to speak with me individually, there's a price point for that. If you want to speak with me for a half hour, an hour, a half a day, those all have price points on it. Absolutely. 
I also, however, within this ministry model, have the capacity to um, allow God into the equation. And in that space, then, I have a whole uh, path you can follow that I call the scholarship, right? So ultimately, I'm not going to tell you, whoever you are, no, because you don't have dollars. Because I do have this space within my business model to say, I believe God will provide. And if God needs me to speak to you in an exchange of dollars, then let's see if that's a good fit. So there's a lot of things you need to do. It's like a scholarship model. You're going to need to um, fill out a questionnaire. Uh, we're going to need to take some time. I am going to take that into prayer. I'm not just going to jump on the 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 phone or whatever to connect with you, but it is a place that I find um, changes the way I go about looking for my clients. So, and not everyone can do that, right? Um, a ministry by definition allows for that. There's a donation button, you know, so maybe again, in this case, that's like the financial example of that, that friend who doesn't work with you, but refers you. Well, the donation button is that monetarily, right? I don't need your services, whoever I am, but, uh, you know, I just came into $500 because my grandma passed away and grandma said donate it and I want it to go to something and I just know that's you, right? So here you go, right? That's what having a ministry business model allows for, um, that is at least slightly different, nuanced, um, over and above your classic um, business model of, you know, Here's a product. Here's something in exchange, some cash value in exchange. I have a little space in the middle that allows right. for some other options. Yeah, I think the challenge, you know, and obviously on the other side of that, you know, the, the, the ability for coaches, wellness people to get to the place to just say, I can help you with that. Would you like to talk about that? Right. And and that transitions the conversation from, hey, we're friends and we're networking and we're having this conversation. But now you've mentioned a couple of things that, oh, I can help you with that. Would you like to have another conversation where we talk about what that looks like? Yeah. Some of your background is in understanding human behavior, some of those other things, your techniques and things. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. So, and I do too, I have quite a bit. And so what you've just said is brilliant and it's absolutely true. And, you know, for those of us in this realm of um, leadership training, right, we call that active listening, right? Even that, however, is a skill to be learned. So as a, as an entrepreneur, if I'm sitting in a meeting with you, especially a cold call, like a networking meeting, it just, you know, we don't know anything about each other. Then, you know, so often you see entrepreneurs so eager to share what they have, that they, they're not listening. And so they just pile on this person. You know, I do this and I do that and I do this. And do you have a, now do, they're not listening to hear whether or not that individual actually has the need. And then again, they sometimes walk away frustrated. Gosh, I told that person everything I did and I'm sure I could help them, but they didn't buy. They didn't even say they wanted to talk to me ever again. Well, 
possibly because all you did is monopolize the conversation with all your features and benefits and great values and discount for Christmas and all whatever else you were sharing without actively listening to whether or not working with them was going to be a good fit for you. Yeah. Well, and the other challenge is, right, we take networking and then we take it to a one-on-one -on -one and at the one-on-one, -on -one, they they get coached, right? And, and you start coaching them just like your family calls and says, hey, Robert, let's have lunch. And really all they're asking for is coaching. And so you're spending all this time coaching these people because you haven't put a boundary around that that says, hey, you know, Ooh, this you is more it. like this is more like, you know, a, a coaching conversation. You know, let me get you on, a, on my calendar and, and let's have a conversation about how we can work together. Brilliant. You, you, you said it boundaries, right? Again, falls on the entrepreneur to set those because the, the consumer doesn't know how much they're going to get for free. They don't know, right? If you want to keep giving it for free, they're going to take it. I would, if you go to one of those little, you know, the little sampler plate things in Costco over the weekend or whatever, right? If they don't tell you it's limited to one, you might grab three because it looks pretty delicious and you're kind of hungry, right? So again, Put yourself in the mindset of the consumer. The boundaries are established by the entrepreneur. So now if you're the entrepreneur, it's your responsibility to set those boundaries. One of the ways I say it all the time is, much like what you just said, I'll say, oh, you know what? That's exactly something we would talk about on the flip side, right? When you agree to work with me, that will be one of the first things we, we address. And I never give them the answer for free. If they want that answer, it comes after the commitment. I'm telling them, yes, I can I can help you with that. Yep, mm -hmm, that's one of the things I do. On the flip side, we'll make that one of the first orders of business, right? Th that'll be one of the first things we address. Uh, but not, not now, not now. I I'm answering your question in its greatest sense because I'm telling you, yes, that is a topic I can help you with, yes. And whenever possible, of course, I'll offer them a sampler, right? Like I'll say, for example, whatever topic you just discussed, right? For example, I might recommend that you do this, that, and the other. However, that's in the context of this initial gathering. I don't know enough about you. When we work together, I'll have all the information I need to share a very specific recommendation with you. I'm just offering you a sampler. It would look like this, but not until you're working with me. Not until you've signed a contract. And by the way, I always have contracts. I've learned the hard way. You don't, you know, handshakes would be magnificent, but in business, they don't hold up in an argument. And right. um, there will be misunderstandings, no matter how close a friend this was. And um, so it, again, it's also just an example of commitment. If you as a consumer are willing to sign an agreement with me to put your name on the bottom of a piece of paper that says uh, respectable conduct, or even when I was co-authoring, there was a there was it was just a terms of agreement. It wasn't anything more than one page, but it clearly said in the lightest way, you're going to act on your best behavior, show up when we've agreed to show up, pay me on time, and in return, I'm going to offer you all the skills and services that are listed here. I'm going to be able to help you write your book. We're going to complete this. We'll we'll put a frame on it and then let it write. Just the simplest of documents. But when that document is signed by both parties, there is an instant step up in mutual respect. Well, and Every value. And, and it adds yep. it adds that level of value. And, and if people don't value the service that you're offering, they're not going to do the work that you're telling right. them to do. Right. If it feels like a friend lunch chat, it will be very hard for them to pick up the bill. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what's been the impact of, of being an author? Of being an author? Um, well, you know, again, let's put it back then and then to now. Um, I came from a background of broadcast communications, right? So writing was a piece of it. Usually it was advertising copy, marketing copy, things like this. But so I had some skills in, in writing in general, had lots of comfortable skills in speaking. Um, at the time, in 2000s, anybody who had accomplished a book was instantly scaled up, right? So your capacity to produce what you knew in written form between two little covers available for purchase and take home instantly provided credibility, enormous credibility at the time, because it still took quite a fair amount of labor to get a book available as a hard, as something someone could hold. Let's bring it into the present. Certainly I built my reputation, in fact, built a whole little entrepreneurial business out of having written one book because by word of mouth, I spent the next 15 years helping others, getting paid to help them. And I never came out of school with a journalism degree. That wasn't my goal. So you see, writing a book was enormously valuable to my professional ability to make a living for more than a decade. It gave me the ability to to have a professional platform to start from. I had evidence in my hand. It wasn't a, it wasn't a theory. There it was. You could read it. I'd probably even give you a free copy. You want to see how I work? This is me, right? $9.95. If you're going to work with me, hey, I'll let you have it for free. Um, I'll make that back 10 times over and we'll both be happy and you'll have a book that you can sell for $9.95. Yay you. Um, so ultimately, uh, that at the time was very novel Oh, the pun, um, because it, it wasn't fiction. <laughs> anyway, it was very novel. Uh, nowadays, let's bring it to the future. It's almost expected now. It's like, it's like, especially if you're entrepreneurial and you're claiming expertise, doesn't matter what that is, but especially if it's in something more esoteric like leadership skills or something like, you know, that's a pretty... It's a very broad umbrella. And so to identify your expertise in that, you, you have to share some of your skill sets up front. And the fastest, easiest, most economical, reproducible way to do that is to have them written down in an affordable way someone can grab and go, let me read what this guy knows, what, you know, right? Let's see his top 12 tips for success. Okay. And if I think that's, if I think that's got value, then I will. So Today, much like having a website and some of these other Facebook, LinkedIn, all these other almost mandatory obligations for the entrepreneur to be able to just come out of the gate, even let alone scaled up, a, a book kind of falls into that category now. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be fancy, um, but being able to concisely uh, package your general expertise is is pretty critical in today's professional world as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. All right. Especially so, if you're selling a service versus a product. Indeed. So how mm -hmm. have how have routines served you and, and what routines are important to you in a day? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, as I said initially, I'm a faith-based individual. So there isn't a day that that starts or finishes or otherwise without without contemplating, without getting before God. 
So for me, that routine is non-negotiable, right? It's embedded in everything that I do, every decision that I make, the timing around that. And um, I think for creative entrepreneurs, there's a delicate dance between structured routine and space for creative expression, right? Uh, in, in the writing world, when I was helping individuals write, invariably they would come to me and say, you know, it's got six chapters. That should take us six weeks, right? One week per chapter. I'll be done in six. And I'd say, all right, okay. Or it might take six months, okay? Because the creative ability to express our final thought, our really pinnacle mountaintop brilliance doesn't always come packaged in a one week, one hour a day, sit at the computer model. So again, I think there's this, this like I say, a delicate dance that has to occur for creative entrepreneurs um, to, to create form, right? Right, okay, if you're gonna paint a picture, um, much better if you already have the easel up and the paints primed, right? Then when the creative muse strikes, you'll be far more advanced in what you get done in that half hour than if 20 minutes of that half hour was finding your easel and opening the paints and looking for the paintbrush. So again, have general structure in place. When I was helping people write, I would say it's the skeleton. We would build a, a table of contents with some general concepts of what was gonna be discussed in each topic, right? In each chapter. But within that, then, there, there was the allowance for an incredible amount of flexibility, even the ability to say, you know what, chapter one isn't chapter one anymore. It's still a good chapter, but it belongs at five, right? And right. So it's again, you start with enough form to then allow creativity. That's well, and the, that's other, the other piece, the other, the other piece of that that's really important is if you only give one hour per week that you're focusing on this, the reality of creating something incredible is pretty limited by the lack of investment in your just creative flow, right? Yeah, consistency. You'd be, you'd be better off with 10 minutes a day for six days, right? If you Correct, because of that consistency. Thinking, yeah, right. well, and just getting, getting your mind focused on the idea if you only give it a little bit of space, then it's only going to have a little bit of result, right? And so you've got to give that creative space something to work with, you know, where, exactly. where you get to the point where you wake up in the middle of the night with book idea and chapter idea and sentence idea. And because your brain is processing this stuff in the middle of, of your sleep and when you're taking a shower and when you, because the, the book has become a focus of enough of your brain space that your brain is working on it when you're, when you're doing other stuff. And I think the artist creativity is the same way. If an artist spends an hour a week working on a painting, then his, his ability to paint, right. The ability to put words together, the same kind of thing. And the, the creative space that's happening in his head, just it, it never has a chance to, to flourish. Right. I mean, you know, so exactly. I think you have to, you have to put the seeds in and then you've got to water them and you got to, you got to yep. you know, make sure they get some sunshine and you got to make sure that, that, that all the right things are happening outside of the, the creative force to allow the creativity to, to flow through you. And I think so mm -hmm. many people say, I want to write a book. 
They never right. sit down and pick up a pencil. No. Or learn the core structure around what a good book could be. Because, again, unfortunately, a side effect of self-publishing, which didn't exist in the beginning but does now, an unfortunate side effect of, of, of no filters, no accountability, is that there's a, there's a lot of mediocrity out there. And there, there's a, there are a lot of people who can say, oh, I wrote a book. But anyone with any reader skills cracks the cover and goes, Ooh, right? Or gets to page five and says, I, I can't look at any more typos, right? I just can't do it. So again, like you said, it's not just about the completion of the tasks. It, it's about allowing the actual space to produce a quality finished product. Just like, I mean, I could probably grab paints and a canvas, but would I call myself a painter? Oh, not even close. I can admit my limitations and that's one of them. <laughs> so again, um, routine but if you by wanted itself, to be, hmm? but if you wanted to be, and you spent even ten That's minutes it. a day for yes, get the ten thousand hours in, and I promise, at the end of ten thousand hours of of painting and practice, you could hang a painting on the wall, and nobody would know that you had painted it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're right. So it has to do with setting that focus and consistency while then allowing rich creativity. So it's that delicate dance that puts form and function around the freedom to express your best finished product. Um, and and that, when, it, when we're talking about a book or a painting or something like that, it, that is that nuanced um, combination. So, yeah, unfortunately, there are some who, you know, just slap some paint on a canvas and go, you know, ah, look at me. I'm an expert in this. And anyone with a commitment who's invested 10,000 hours in that same process is like, mm. you know, you know, so it's well, about the online spaces. The online space has allowed that for business. And, yes. and, and so there's, there are, there's a lot of mediocrity and, and yeah. there's mediocrity out there with the expectation of success when they yes. haven't put in the time. And, and yes. the reality is you need to put in the time. You need to trust mm -hmm. the process and you, and you need mm -hmm. to know that that good results come from focused investment <laughs> and and it's Ooh. worth the, the wait. See, you just said two words that are so powerful. You said focused investment and worth. And, you know, for entrepreneurs who specifically entrepreneurs in the coaching world who offer services like accountability and skill sets, that's the other piece of it. Look, you can either invest time or money, right? And if you either don't want to invest, you said focused investment worth the payout at the end, right? Either you can put in the time and you can be the student of the process and you can put in the 10,000 hours and you can, you can develop into something that is recognized as an expert, right? Or in some of those areas, you can hire someone who's already done that. And it's still an investment. It's an investment of money to be able to benefit. That's what they hired me to do. I'd been through the self-publishing book process. I was going to be able to expedite to the best completed result in the, in the shortest amount of time. How much dollars is that worth to you? Um, I'm not saying you can't go write this book on your own. I'm not saying I'm the only one you could work with. I'm simply saying 
that I believe the value I bring to your project is worth this amount of cash. Well, and it's acceleration. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because I'll shorten your 10,000 hours of learning to 1,000 hours. What's that worth? I put mm -hmm. a price on it and the, there were those who paid it and there were those who didn't. And that sure. was, it was as simple as that. Um, but you said it. It's about focusing an investment that that you believe is worth it, that will pay out in the end in a way that you can appreciate. And for entrepreneurs who are on a tight budget, it's one of two things. Either you're going to put in the time to be able to come off to present yourself as an expert, or you're going to appreciate the value of a financial investment in someone else's skill sets to help you expedite your ultimate goal. And that's, you know, where the entrepreneurial coach has their, that's where they come in. Hey, I did the 10,000 hours. I could help you. It, it, it's going to cost you dollars, but it's not going to cost you time. Exactly. So good. All right, Sarah, what's your big dream? Oh, I think I'm living it. Honestly, I think White Fawn Ministries, as I said before, after 20 plus years of entrepreneurial pursuits is the culmination and balance that allows me exactly what we just described. I have the ability to have the focus and the form and the freedom uh, to to share all that I know, um, which isn't everything. But if it's enough to help you, whoever you are, move to the next step in your success, yay. I'm glad I'm here. So I think after a long, long journey, uh, I'm, I'm living the dream, finally. <laughs> Very nice, Sarah. All right. You spent an hour having a coffee with an entrepreneur and you would leave them with Sarah's words of wisdom. What would you share? Oh, Sarah's words of wisdom. Um My favorite scripture, <laughs> with God, all things are possible, right? Oh, very nice. And, and that, that space, give yourself that space, right? Let yourself grow. Um, give it another day. You know, try it again. Um, with God, all things are possible. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today <laughs> and sharing so much from your heart and so much from your journey and experience and just appreciate all that you've shared. Oh, and Robert, thank you for making this platform available. I think a yeah, win-win in my book. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Leela Veronica and Robert talk about the connection between mind, body, and spirit, and how important that it is that in the sales conversation, we spend too much time in our head and not enough time in our body. Let your body do the talking, and you will communicate better sell better, and overall have better results.